that, but uh, I will get over that quickly. This morning's message is a foundational one. Uh, the psalmist asked the question, said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Foundation is what holds everything else in the building up. And if the foundation shifts, if the foundation cracks or anything else like that, the whole building is in danger of collapse. And from time to time, even those of us who've been saved, this year will mark for me 51 years since I trusted Christ as Savior. There are times that I need to go back to the foundations and make sure that they are in place. So I hope you'll listen this morning. It's not a salvation message, though that is included uh, in what I'm about to preach. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. I hope that you'll be uh, ready to turn in your Bibles or, or push the right button on your phone or your device or whatever that is as we, uh, we look at an important verse uh, here from the book of Hebrews. Before we do that, just a couple things to think about. As we go through life, there are certain things that we just put together and say they fit. And if somebody says a, a word or a statement, we automatically would all finish it the same way. Uh, for example, play along with me, bread and butter. N nobody here said, I can't believe it's not butter. We just all said bread and butter, peanut butter and jelly. No, nobody said crab uh, or anything like that. Uh, salt and Right. Oil and things just fit, don't they? And we're, we're comfortable with that. But there are also things that some people put together and we just scratch our head and say, you need a brain scan right about now. It just doesn't fit. Uh, years ago, some of you remember this. I know Tim will remember this. We had a young man in our school by the name of Tim, not this Tim equally different as you'll find out uh, but his name was Tim and Tim had a ketchup addiction and the word addiction is not an over exaggeration um, I, how many like ketchup if I'm gonna have a hot dog a hamburger or something like that I like ketchup I like ketchup on my meatloaf uh, Trina likes ketchup yeah Rich is with us today. He's having a revival down here. Uh, Trina used to like to put ketchup on her, on her uh, scrambled eggs. Any, anybody do that? Uh, yeah, there's a few other strange folks here. Uh, well, well, Tim did the normal. Uh, you know, if he had a, a, you know, a sandwich with you know, some kind of lunch meat, oftentimes there would be ketchup. But that, it didn't stop there. If he had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, he put ketchup on it. Am, am I... I'm, I'm not lying. Well, we had to ban Tim from using the ketchup in the school cafeteria because he used it all. He would take the bottle to his table, and by the time he returned it, at least half of the bottle was gone. Uh, uh, we're talking ketchup on Twinkies. We're talking ketchup on Oreos. Does anybody do that? Um, so he had, if he wanted ketchup, he had to bring his own, and he did. He brought bottles of ketchup for lunch. He brought packets of ketchup from like McDonald's and stuff like that. He had a little bottle of ketchup he got somewhere that he kept inside his jacket, and during class, teachers caught him sucking ketchup out of this bottle. 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating even a little. When I say he had a catch-up addiction, Greg, do you remember that? You, you were in school, I think, at that time as well. Um, just catch up on everything. Now, there are places where ketchup belongs, on, on, on meatloaf or a hamburger or a hot dog. Um, this is my humble opinion, and I know it's a fact because it's my opinion. Ketchup and Oreos don't belong together. And anybody agree with me? Let's have business meeting. It's wrong to have uh, ketchup on Oreos. All in favor, say amen. amen. All of the rest of you, we don't care. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't fit. We need to understand in the Christian life, there are some things that belong to it that fit, and there are some things that don't. They, they just don't. Keeping your place in Hebrews chapter 6. Can you go back to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. We get saved and we are imparted this new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to understand that salvation is more than my golden ticket into heaven someday. It is a new life in Jesus Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. E Ephesians chapter 5, um, and I was in Galatians. That isn't going to help you a lot. Uh, look at um, verse number 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor so if I'm in Christ I'm to follow him I'm supposed to walk in love that fits with my salvation but look at verse 3 but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness you know fornication that's one of the big ones that's the you know the big immoral sin but covetousness, and that is, that is uh, the wrong desire to have what someone else has, either their possessions or their personality or their position or whatever. Um, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, that's a dirty mind, a dirty heart, nor foolish talking. That doesn't mean we can never tease around or kid with one another. That idea of, uh, of foolish talking uh, carries with it the idea of um, talking in a way that is contrary to Scripture. It's a statement like, well, I know the Bible says, but. That's foolish talking. That is, that is ignoring the clear teaching of Scripture to insert our own ideas and opinions. And that is just foolish um, it goes on to say, and uh, nor jesting. Jesting is where we, we, we make fun of the Christian life, or we make fun of people that are trying to live for God, or we make fun of the scriptures. Proverbs says, fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor, which are not convenient, but, but rather giving of thanks. So here we have the teaching that if we're saved and we are in Christ, we're to walk in love, but there are some things... That, that are not even to be named among us. There are some things that are spiritually putting ketchup on the Oreo. Uncleanness, covetousness, fornication, a dirty mind and a dirty mouth. 
and, and uh, foolish talking, taking the scriptures for granted or, 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 or trying to uh, 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 you know, explain them away so we can do what we want to do or jesting, just making fun of sin, making fun of uh, people that live for God and love God. The Bible says, let it not be once named among you. So there are some things that do not fit with the Christian life. Part of salvation is called sanctification where the Holy Spirit works on us and changes us. How many of you, when you got saved, there was a lot wrong with you? Anybody besides me? You know, uh, how many have found out that the longer you're saved, the, the more God keeps working and you don't talk exactly the way you used to. You don't tell the same stories and laugh at the same jokes and uh, you, you, you don't like uh, the same movies and TV programs and you don't listen to the same music and run. How many have found some things changed? Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit working in us because see, those things don't fit with the Christian life. It's the ketchup on the Oreo. I fear that too many Christians today, that's the kind of life they're living. Well, I'm saved and on my way to heaven, but the truth is, though they've been saved maybe a long time, there's little to no difference between them and the unsaved world. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into that mindset and think that that's okay with God. God says, let it not once be named among you. Are we okay? Now go back to Hebrews 6. Just as there are some things that don't fit in the Christian life. And the list in Ephesians is not a complete one. If you read Galatians 5, there's a whole list of the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And it, it covers the big, the big ones, you know, murder and adultery and fornication and all of that. But it also covers hatred and sedition and wrath and, and, and uh, covetousness and all kinds of things that that we commit on a sometimes constant basis and act like they're all right, God says, man, that's, that's ketchup on your Oreo. You're, you're missing it. You're messing it up. It doesn't fit. Hebrews chapter 6 again. Look, if you would, at verse number 9 that we read with Brother Tim. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. God has better things in mind for us. God has better things in store for us. God has a better way always for us. We are persuaded better things of you. And notice the end of verse nine. Will you read it with me, church? And things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. So Paul was laying this foundational message before them. He says, I know we're, we're speaking in a certain way, but we're persuaded that you're above and beyond that. We pers we're persuaded you've gone beyond that and that you're embracing Again, the things that accompany salvation. There are things that when we get saved, automatically are a part of that. Again, being saved is more than my golden ticket to go to heaven someday. And, and being saved means I get to go to heaven someday. I don't minimize that. I'm looking forward to that because what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. But salvation is, if you will, bigger than even that. God has more uh, to impart to us. He says there are some things that accompany salvation. So we must ask ourselves the question, do they in my life? Are they there? One of the great examples of, of what he's talking about here in Hebrews is found in Acts chapter 2, if I can get you to turn there. Acts chapter 2. As I 
mulled this scripture over in my mind and allowed the, the Lord to work on my heart about it. God took me back 51 years ago in August of 1972 when I first got saved. And I spent several hours, I was awake most of last night. Um, the, the chest pain was, was uh, just kind of out and beyond. Uh, there were a couple times that I almost went down and knocked on his door and said, I think you need to take me over to the ER. Um, and then I talked myself out of it. Uh, then I had nerve pain from the, the residual limb that, that kicked in. And so I had a double whammy going. And I, 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 I'm going to be honest, I was having rather a miserable night. But then the Lord reminded me of what I was preaching about this morning, the things that accompany salvation. And um, I went back to where the foundation was laid in my life. And, and I was having a hard night. I was afraid they were going to heal me when, hear me. When the nerve pain hits, sometimes I literally cry out and I, I can't stop it. There's no warning to it, anything. And I was worried about that. But in the midst of all of those things, um, uh, 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 I was, I was kind of having a shouting fit. I was having a good time with the Lord and the tears started to flow and it was my reset button because there are some things that are supposed to accompany salvation and I know they used to be there once upon a time and I, I rejoiced last night to realize, praise God, they're still there and they need to be there. Otherwise, we're putting ketchup on an Oreo. Because if you're not putting the things that are supposed to accompany your salvation into your life, you're putting something else in its place. Guaranteed. So what's, what's this all about? Look at verse 41, Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost. Peter is preaching along with 120 other saints. His sermon's the one recorded. Uh, 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 thousands of people there. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. How many in this room can remember the day that that happened to you? You heard the word of the gospel. You came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You received Jesus Christ as your personal savior. And from that moment on, you knew for certain you were gonna go to heaven. How many, how many remember the day that happened to you? Raise your hand high, don't be. Isn't that an amazing thing? Do you know that there are, they are now saying the world's population has exceeded 8 billion. But only a tiny little fraction of those know what we know. Isn't it amazing God allowed us to come in contact with the gospel so we could be saved? Amen. Don't ever get over that. So here are these people. They just heard the word of the gospel. They found out that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Messiah, that his death on the cross was payment for their sin, that his resurrection was assurance of their salvation. And they've now received that word. Uh, they, they gladly received his word. It's a good day. It's a good day to get saved. It was a good day on August uh, 1972 when I got saved and it's happened to them. And now I want you to notice the immediate result in their lives. Verse 42. And they, that's the people that just got saved and baptized, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. 
Now, this is our pattern here. This is the, the, the first time the church has been functioning uh, as, the, as the organism that God has established it to be, a living entity. And I want you to understand what happened to these people that just got saved. Number one, they had a love for the Bible. I mean, they had a love for the Bible. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' what? Doctrine, that's teaching. And what were the apostles teaching? They were teaching the Word of God. They didn't have Matthew through Revelation. They had Genesis through Malachi. They had numbers with the, all the numbers. They had all the begats and they had the law and, and the sacrifices and all those things. They had the prophecies. But they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were gathering every chance they could. Teach us some more. They loved their Bible. They could not get enough of the Word of God. I didn't grow up in a Bible-preaching church. I grew up in a church where even the minister did not carry a Bible into the pulpit. No one had a Bible with them. It just wasn't done. Then we moved, and I went to the church where I got saved in, and uh, I, I don't know why, but I had won this bright red Bible I, I meant to go down in the basement and get it this morning, but I didn't want to disturb them uh, and so forth. I got it 72 years ago. I won it that week, and I carried that bright red Bible with me to church that Sunday morning, and I don't know why. Uh, I, I just, I just kind of liked that book. It, it was just, I liked that it. it was new, and it had a good smell and, and, and stuff like that, and it was total mystery to me. And I told you before, that first Sunday, the pastor said, turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. And I was embarrassed because I didn't bring the book of Hosea. I brought the Bible. I didn't know that it was in there. And everybody else was turning in their Bibles, and one of the teenagers sitting beside me, by the way, instead of making fun of what I didn't know, helped me. Showed me how to find the book of Hosea. The best thing that Jeff ever showed me was the index. You know, the book of index in the Bible. And uh, from then on, I could get there eventually and all of that. But uh, I, I listened to the, my, my very first Sunday sermon as a brand new convert. And it was like something I'd never heard before. And, and he was talking about the love of God. He was talking about this man, Hosea. And he had a wife with a horrible name named Gomer. And I, I, every time the pastor said her name was Gomer, I'm thinking Gomer Pyle. I just could not help it. I still remember it. And, 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 and Gomer had run away from him and gotten in trouble. And she'd been a, she'd been a prostitute and, and got, got placed on an auction block. And God said, Hosea, go back and buy her back. This is the first sermon that I heard as a brand new Christian. And Hosea went and bought her back and said, you are mine. You're for me and I'm for you. And he loved her. And my pastor went and said, that's how much God loves us. That's how God loves us. That when we mess up and no matter what we we've done he still loves and says I want you back you're mine and I am yours I still remember that and 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 uh, I, I was overwhelmed with that and uh, I went to a church we had church on Sunday morning uh, the only time of the year church was Sunday night was Christmas for the play that was it all of a sudden I heard Pastor Nitz saying don't forget to be back tonight at seven o'clock for the evening service I had no idea what he meant by that. I just figured that was for the people that slept in on Sunday morning, uh, you know, that type of thing. And eventually I found out that most of the crowd in our church that was there Sunday morning came back Sunday night. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking an auditorium a little bit bigger than this one, and it was full like this one is right now on Sunday night. 
Then I found out real soon that they had a service on Wednesday night and the teenagers had their own special time and somebody arranged transportation. And the truth of the matter is, uh, every, every time I went to church, it was open your Bible. It was just open your Bible. And, and uh, I, I fell in love with my Bible. David said in Psalm 119, 97, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Do we love the Bible to that degree where it, in, it intrudes upon and invades our thoughts all day long? And no matter what we're going through, it's like there's this verse that comes out and goes, there's the answer to my question. Uh, there's the, the solution to my problem. And, and there it is, and we rejoice in the word of God. Jeremiah said, thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. Uh, Peter said, uh, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I'm burdened and I'm troubled that so oftentimes believers are bored with the Bible. I'm a first generation Christian. I didn't grow up in this. I didn't get saved till I was 14. I, I didn't come from a Christian home. I never went to a Christian school till I went to Bible college. Um, I'm a first generation Christian. And, and because of that, this was all new and exciting, and I've loved every moment of it. I couldn't get enough of my Bible, but I worry when I see kids that are second and third and sometimes fourth generation Christian, that's all you know, and you take it for granted. You're more excited about your video game than you are the Bible. You're more excited about your television series than you are the Word of God. You're more excited about your phone, and I'm not talking about your Bible app on your phone, but, but your phone and, and, and your, your, your Facebook and your, your, your all the other things that are out there now, Instagram and so forth, than you are the Word of God. The, the early Christians, they had a love for the Bible. That's one of the things that accompanies salvation. God puts it there. This is his word. This is his love letter to us. But there's a second thing, and i got to hasten uh, from Acts chapter 2. Not only uh, did they have a love for the Bible, they had a love for church. The Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and what? And in fellowship, verse 46. And they, the they is these brand new Christians, continuing how often? Daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. We, we act put out because we, we're expected to come to church once a week. We, we think the preacher's imposing on our lives because it says, you know, you really ought to be out Sunday night. It's the Lord's day, not the Lord's morning. You, 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 you get a little miffed when the preacher talks to you. You should be in your places on Wednesday night or we have revival meetings. We're going to have a family conference in September, uh, an all-day Sunday event, and Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night with uh, Brother Corey Bain is going to be here and his wife's going to be doing some things for ladies and we'll be promoted. Oh, you mean he now expects us to be out Monday and Tuesday night? They went daily. And it wasn't special meetings. It was church. And they just loved being together. That fellowship, they loved it. Let's face it, um, church time is, is really when we all get to see each other. We don't hang out with each other that much during the week. We do some, 
we, we interact and so forth, but everybody's got their jobs and we sort of scatter and, and then church time comes and we're all here in one place. We're all here for one reason and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all singing the same songs and listening to the same sermon and, and enjoying the same atmosphere that God puts together for us and, uh, and the early church, they loved it. This morning as I'm in between crying out because of nerve pain, I'm just thinking of how I got saved and I just couldn't get enough of church. I had an unsaved home and a dad who despised everything that was happening in our new Christian lives. I went to a giant public school with 2,200 students, grades 10 through 12. There was a handful uh, of Christians that I knew I could probably count them on less than two hands the number of Christians that were there. Uh, I'm, I came from a tiny school in farm country, and all of a sudden, every day, I'm exposed to drugs and swearing and alcohol and, and anti-Bible teaching and all of those kind of things. My faith was attacked almost from day one in so many, many ways. Church was my refuge. Church is where I came and I knew people cared about me and they loved me and they prayed for me. Church was where I got refueled up to go back out and fight the battles that I never knew were going to be a part of my life. Church is where I got strengthened to go home and deal with a difficult father and a difficult home life. Church was my place. Amen. And it was supposed to be. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, we quote this at weddings. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. Every, every wife has this verse memorized. And when he's being ornery, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. And of course, he's got one verse me memorized. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. A real wise husband has the verse memorized that says, as you wish. But the Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it how can we be bored with or ignore or take for granted that which jesus christ died for do you understand that the church is the body of christ and we are members of that body we are members one of another in the early church there was no edict, you need to come to church every day. It was just, there was something in them. They, they, they wanted this Bible. Uh, Peter teaches, Thomas teaches, John teaches. And they got together and they were with each other and they prayed together and they served together and it spread out beyond there. They didn't have a church building. They just met at the temple. That's where the Jewish people had met for thousands of years. So they just went there. And, uh, but, but then they'd leave there and say, let's go hang out after church. I go to an amputee support meeting uh, once a month. They're back in, in person now. And uh, uh, we meet together, and about half of us are in person there. The other half are still joining the meeting through Zoom for various reasons they can't get there. It lasts for an hour. Sometimes there's a special speaker to teach us about things. Sometimes uh, there, there are new amputees that just have questions and the rest of us are there to answer and encourage. Uh, and sometimes it seems like it's just a, a free-for-all and whatever. The end of the hour, we have to leave because they, ha they have other groups that are going to come in and meet uh, immediately after. Shortly, I guess a couple months ago after we started meeting in person, there were three or four of us uh, just hanging around outside. It's over at Gaylord Hospital. He said, uh, you know what we ought to do next, next month? Let's make plans that after the meeting, we all go to Colony Diner and just hang out. So we did. So there were only four of us. 
but the four, you know, four amputees get out and where one, one lady is uh, double, she's a bilateral below the knee amputee, I'm the only above the knee and the other two below the knee. Um, and, and, you know, we all had shorts on and stuff like that because of the, the type meeting. Uh, sometimes we have to show the hardware and how it works to a new person. And so we're walking in, we decide to eat outside under the tent. You know Colony Diner, what I'm talking about? They have the tent in the parking lot. Um, and so looking on, nobody else was in there. We had our picket tables. So we picked a table uh, where the setting sun wasn't going to blind whoever was sitting and facing in that direction. That just happened to me, uh, be me and this fellow named Dave. So we're sitting there. We ordered our food. Uh, and that's why we picked the table. Well, we're getting ready to leave. And the waitress come up with the check and she looked down at the pavement. Remember, we're sitting in a parking lot that has a tent over. She looked down at the pavement and she started laughing. And we're kind of looking at her like, what, what's up with you? And she said, do you know where you're sitting? Yeah, at a table. She said, no, you're sitting over the handicapped parking space. <laughs> We didn't pick it up on purpose or it just, just kind of happened. We were there for over two hours and we learned more about each other's lives and each other's stories and each other's struggles and journeys and the lessons we learned. And everybody that said the same thing, this was almost more helpful than the meeting itself. And it's now just a, a monthly thing that we get together. And you know, we found out there's a, there's a camaraderie that we have that you don't understand. But let me tell you something. We have a camaraderie that my amputee friends don't even comprehend yet. We have Jesus Christ. We have eternal life. We have a Savior who loves us. We have a Bible. We have a home in heaven someday. We all have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us. How can we not like being around each other and being together and being in the place where God's going to meet? Do you know the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in my name? Jesus said, there am I in the midst of them. I want to be where Jesus is. We ought to love the church because that was what God put in their heart. There's something else that goes right along with that. We ought to love God's people. We ought to love God's people. Uh, the Bible says in verse number um, 43 through 46, fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common. A camaraderie, a care, a love one for another, no command that said they needed to do that. They sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. Again, there was no commandment. This has never been uh, commanded after this in the Bible that we do it. It's just the way these people were naturally as a result of being saved. They continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, and singleness of heart. We should love the Bible. We should love God's church. We should love God's people. We should love God's people. We shouldn't love God's people because they're perfect. If that is the criteria, we all have the freedom to hate each other. Am I right? How, how many of you are perfect? I'm waiting. How many of you have messed up? Guess what? If we're only going to love perfect people, we're going to be very, very lonely. But if we can love as God does, be kind one to another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We can have lots of fellowship. We can have lots of love. Um, lots of scriptures for you. Look at Acts chapter 5. You say, well, I just can't. I just can't love. I just can't love that person. Um, Romans chapter 5 says that's not true. The Bible says, and hope maketh not ashamed in Romans 5, 5, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. How many are saved? Under, you're, you're here today and you know you're saved. Raise your hand, you're saved. How many of you know that when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in you? How many know that? What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So the Holy Spirit lives inside of every one of us that is saved. According to Romans chapter 5, what did the Holy Spirit shed abroad in our hearts? The love of God. Does the love of God pick and choose who God's going to love? No, for God so loved the world. Do you know what kind of people live in this world? And yet God loved them. God loved the thief on the cross who spit in his teeth and died and went to hell, but God still loved him. God loved the thief on the cross who repented and got saved. God loved Saul of Tarsus who was a blasphemer and a murderer. God loved him. David, the man after God's own heart, fell and messed up his testimony. God said, by what you've done, you have given the heathen a reason to blaspheme the name of God. But God still loved him. God's love was so big it forgave him. That, that's the, the love that God shed abroad in my heart. My excuse that I can't love that person is an invalid, unbiblical excuse. The early church loved each other. By the way... They had all things come and they hung out with each other all the time. Do you know if we only come to church now, now and then, we pretty much think everybody in church is just awesome. But we start hanging out with each other and then we find out they got B.O. We find out that they have bad days. Some people, bad days is really that they have a Ph.D. in bad days. We find out that they're not always nice. We find out that they, 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 they've, they've messed up somewhere along the line. And you know, sometimes when we're around people, familiarity, the Bible says, breeds contempt. We start taking each other for granted and, and all of these other things. And uh, we start making reasons why we don't have to love that person. And we're chipping away at the foundation. Because loving God's people accompanies salvation automatically. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Turn, if you would, to First uh, Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. We somehow like this sermon, the first point or two, and it's it's kind of waning down just a little bit. But it's Bible, my friend. First Peter chapter one, if you would please, look at verse twenty-two. Seeing ye have purified your souls, and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned, that means unpretended, not fake. Unfeigned, read the next four words with me. Love of the brethren, read the rest of the verse. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. The word fervently means with zeal. It, it, it means passionately. It means with fire. 
Not, not fire, I'm going to burn them. It, it just means you just love them. You love them to death. If we've been saved, the Holy Spirit, again, the Holy Spirit is mentioned in this, obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. When I got saved, I not only loved church and what it did for me, I loved my church family. Last night I was thinking about the people in my church, it was called Church of the Open Door at that time, who are, who are the age that I am right now. Thinking of Murray Fritz. I'm thinking of Mitch and Emma Luce Sela, and I could go down a whole list of people, and they'd been in the church for 30 and 40 years already. Uh, they were the ones that sacrificed to build the building that we're meeting in. They were the ones that bought the buses that we ran. Uh, they're the ones that paid for us teenagers to go to youth conference in Hammond and help us uh, on our trips to Word of Life camp and, and so forth. And in our church, we only had two sections. The teenagers all sat down here in about the first four rows. And over here, all of the people my age, 65 and older, the senior saints, all sat in the rows down here. And we could just look over at them and, uh, you know, and the pastor said, Every, everybody stand for the reading of the scriptures and we're standing up and they're only halfway like, ah, but they eventually got there and all that, that whole crowd's in heaven right now. But I'm saved because that crowd believed in running buses. Amen. Amen. I'm saved because that crowd that no longer had any kids of their own in church or at home, that crowd loved the, the teenagers in the church and they invested. When we gave testimonies, you watched that crowd smiling and nodding their heads that God was doing a work in, in our lives. Some of them, it was hard for them to come to the altar, but I remember Murray Fritz, he'd come out of his seat and he was, I think he was 70 when, when I got saved. And there would be times you watch that, that dear man come down to the altar and, and he'd just stay there for a while and, and teenagers would all be over at the altar over here and uh, you know we'd get up and I'd oftentimes remember, I'd get up and look and Murray Fritz was eyeballing the teenagers not judging us, not criticizing us. He was eyeballing us and there was this look of joy and pride on his face. That's what it's all about. That was my church family. It wasn't just the, the 40 or 50 or 60 teenagers in the youth group that I, I, I went to church with and youth activities and camp and all that kind of stuff. It was all those people sitting there and all of the other folks who sat behind them that made my Christian life possible. I just loved God's people. And, and, and as a, a dad, one of my goals for my three children, I want them to get along. I want them to love each other. I want them to appreciate each other. I want them to know how awesome each one of them is. And now there are 11 grandchildren, and I want them to feel the same way about each other. And as your pastor, it breaks my heart when you won't get along. It breaks my heart when you fuss and fight and won't make it right. But bigger than that, it breaks the heart of God who made us one. One of the foundations, one of the things that accompanies salvation is this unfeigned love of the brethren. I've got to hasten. I've got more points, but I won't do them. Look at Acts chapter 2 one more time. Acts chapter 2, things that accompany salvation. We should love the Bible. We should love church. We should love God's people. And we should love letting everybody know who our God is. Verse 47, uh, we'll go to verse 46. They, these brand new converts, continuing daily with one accord in the temple 
and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. These people just couldn't stop talking about Jesus, praising God, having favor with all the people. And every day, more people were getting saved. Every single, every, they just talked about Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, persecution came along. Uh, Stephen has been murdered and, and Saul is wreaking havoc in the church. And it, it's getting scattered all over Samaria and Judea. And yet the Bible says, and they that were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Let's talk about Jesus. King of kings is he. Lord of lords supreme for all eternity. Oh, I, it's not wrong to talk about other subjects, but nothing ought to trump talking about Jesus. You hear me talk about Sam. You hear me talk about the training and the things that we do. Sam has done a lot for me, and I owe a big debt to him, but Sam did not die on the cross to pay for my sin. Sam did not endure all the agonies of Calvary so that I could be saved. Only Jesus Christ could and did that for me, and he did it willingly. And I'm thankful for Sam, but boy, I'm really thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's time we got over our shyness. It's time we got done talking about politics and talk about Jesus. And, and that's what this world needs. Uh, everywhere they went, they just talked about Jesus. You didn't have to force it. It was flowing from within. Jesus talked about the fact that when we get saved, he would place within us rivers of water flowing out of us. Does that describe our Christianity? There are things that accompany salvation. They are supposed to be there. A love for the Bible. A love for church. A love for God's people. A love for telling other people about how wonderful Jesus is. And I know some of them don't want to hear it. I know some of them are going to cuss at us. I understand all of that, but there are going to be some of them that said, that's what I was looking for. If it wasn't for people that believed in door-to-door -door soul winning, I wouldn't be saved. If it wasn't for people that believed in a bus ministry, I wouldn't be saved. If it wasn't for people that believed in outreach, I wouldn't be saved. Because I didn't grow up in this. I didn't have a mom and dad take me to church where I'd hear the gospel. Somebody had to come get me. How many does that describe you? You didn't grow up in this. Somebody reached you out there. Anybody like that? Lift them up higher. Look around. Do you realize that's a big portion of us? Aren't you glad that somebody believed in talking about Jesus outside of the walls of the church? Things that accompany salvation. I had a bad night physically. I had an amazing night spiritually I did I was crying three four o'clock this morning yeah a little bit was from the nerve pain but a whole bunch of it was from 1972 when God saved a 14 year old scrawny little kid and the life of Acts chapter 2 just became mine Nobody forced it on me. Nobody made me love those things. It was what God put inside of me. 
A lot of you used to have that. Maybe all of us. My question is, is it still like that? Is it still like that? Is it still fresh and wonderful? It should be. He didn't give us a pond of water. Ponds get stagnant. He gave us springs of living water. They're just constantly flowing with a fresh supply. Things that accompany salvation. Question as we close. What describes your Christian life? Acts chapter 2? Or ketchup on an Oreo? You know why Ephesians 5 was written? Because people were putting away the things that accompany salvation for things that should never be named amongst us. We need to be careful. Can we bow our heads for prayer? Thank you for listening so well this morning.